Hello and welcome to the New New Englanders podcast. This is our first episode of 2024. Sarah, can you tell us a little bit about this episode's guest? Today, we're going to be talking to Sofia de Jesus Sabella, who is a weaver based in the Hartford area of Connecticut. And we're going to talk to her about her craft and what she does. And uh, she teaches. So we talk about that a little bit. But it's cool. We learned a lot and it gave us a lot to think about. Absolutely. But before we get to our conversation with Sophia, it's time for some new news in the new year with the new New Englanders. New news with the new New Englanders. All right, Sarah. So you hyped this story up to me a little bit earlier as having a pretty ridiculous headline. So what you got? So the headline that I saw this time was, um, quote, New diaper spa where adults role play as babies shocks tiny New Hampshire town. God damn it. <laughs> and I went, what? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and I'm not someone who's here to kink shame or, you know, look down on people for their interests and the things that they do. But also, it is crazy to think that this is a thing that would be in New Hampshire of all places. Just the way that New Hampshire is. The kind of fits, though, in a weird way. I mean, like, live free or die, right? Like, I don't know. <laughs> but the whole the whole concept of the place is not like a supposed to be a sexual thing i guess it's supposed to be like a way to deal with your trauma i don't know the person who runs it is a doctor i guess who deals with this stuff a doctor in what specifically (laughs) hold on let me find the thing because i said i I couldn't really um these are turbulent waters and i think we have to get our facts straight (laughs) hold on hold on let me find the thing she is uh md internal medicine in milford massachusetts also people according to reddit people are saying that she's been like kind of wiping her website and stuff of anything that might hint at it being like a sexual thing but i'm also like i don't know you're on reddit like i don't know if i believe you either you know what i mean (laughs) sure um so like I don't know who to believe. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna look this up too. I, I need to I need to see with my own eyes what's going on here. <laughs> yeah, someone on Reddit kept linking to Psychology Today saying that she was like a sex therapist or something, but I can't find that on the internet anywhere right now. Okay, damn. This is this was on the View. This is oh yeah no up. this was like this was like big news oh man um oh wow. I think it's that one of the up biggest by like Fox News and stuff too. This is clearly yeah yeah be like a. This is going to be like a culture war thing, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. And it is It's already like on Reddit. People are already like going at it about stuff. But I think the concern for a lot of people comes from from what I've seen, like the people in the town comes from the fact that there's like a park nearby that kids play at. And they're like, oh, like, are these people pedophiles? Like, especially because people don't get it, you know, which is fair. I yeah, I get why you don't get it. Um, yeah, you can count me into that because I do not understand what's happening. I don't. I don't really. I don't really get it either. Um, but I guess it's some. According to people of the internet, it is, you know, some sort of way of coping with like trauma that you had from when you were a little kid and like something like that. I I, I can't speak to this because I'm not an expert on it. I want to say that beyond any feelings i may have about this activity i 
I don't know anything about this, so I just like strictly cannot comment on the, the content of this. I want to say two things. Number one, this is expensive as hell. Damn. <laughs> this, I, 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 okay, here's some of the services that are advertised. There is nursery spa care, $300 an hour. There are virtual play dates at $200 an hour, and there's an all-day premier spa experience for the quote-unquote little one inside of you for $1,500. This is... Yeah. Like, people are dropping a bag to do whatever yeah. this is. I mean, it's $100 just to text with the doctor, which is also... It's not on the website anymore, but I read somewhere else that it's the doctor diaper, which is just like, I gotta laugh at that. I don't want to... I don't want to <laughs> shame these people, but I gotta laugh at that name. You know... My second thing is I'm on I'm on the official website, which may cause me all sorts of problems in my own life. <laughs> but just You're going to get weird ads, ads now. I'm going. actually on the website, too. I'm on the website, too. Right, it's okay. We'll, we'll I should have not accepted cookies. Horrible ads for the immediate future. I'm looking at the gallery. This is the scariest looking building I've ever seen in my life. It is all gray. Oh, my God. And just... Like, the interiors, I mean, they're doing the real, like, beige millennial adult sort of decor, but it's it's also very live, laugh, love. I, I don't know. It's also very just, like, doesn't seem like a lot of money was put into this. Do you see this picture with, like, the big teddy bear in the corner and then the cow painting? Yeah. There, yeah, it's a little cursed. You know how, like, there's, like, the subreddit for, like, liminal images and they're just kind of creepy, yeah. empty rooms? Yeah. That's this. It's this. I mean, did you see very... the one with the 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 bed with the spa bed in it? This, that one's yeah. weird too. This is a very off-putting. And space. so is the one with the weird chair. Everything like the whole thing is weird. In the room is gray and then just like pale wood. It is a very not spa-like environment, and I feel like the the meaning of the word spa is being taken to some extreme here. Yes, what the content. I agree. I think that it's 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 more or less just a place where people who want to do this go to do this with other people um, yeah. and can do it like in a safe environment that's like judgment free zone or whatever. Um, but paying for that is that's crazy to me. I mean, for someone that this is like that level of importance to paying for it is probably one of the only reliable yeah. outlets for that. This is this is definitely interesting to me as like an emerging uh, culture war reference that is going to be all over the place because I'm seeing now this is like all been in like the last like couple days and now like Fox News is picking it up and stuff. So, yep. Yeah, this is, this is going to be a thing. This will make it a thing. But also I knew about this because there was an episode of uh, My Strange Addiction mm. about it. So I think that. You know, there are a lot of people who already knew. Otherwise, I understand why parents are maybe a little concerned because they don't understand it. Like, I get it. Like, you don't get it. So you're going to be like, what the fuck is this? You know what I mean? I'm very curious about the uh, the doctor character who is at the forefront. Oh, of yeah. No, me too. Kind of like staking your Korean reputation. I mean, they must feel very passionate about this as like, you know, an area of... Uh, need as something that that should exist but right i mean they're also it's not as if they're doing this just from the goodness of their hearts because 
they they stand to make a bag <laughs> because yeah this is also not, this this, is this place it's it's just experience <laughs> it's just in a house also yeah like it's just a like a four bedroom house i'm pretty sure listen if we wanted to go further on this texting with the doc is a hundred dollars for an hour you and me, Sarah, we could go have these and we could get to the bottom of this. <laughs> I don't know if I want to spend $50 on that. A, I'm sorry. A live telephone call with the doc is $150. And that means that we could have an interview. <laughs> we, could, we could have her on the pod. We could have her on the pod. I don't I'm know, sure she would love to. I don't know if technically uh, that would be allowed within the uh, <laughs> doctor thing. Yeah, the, like, yeah. I don't think we're paying to have her on the pod. But I also don't think that we really want to be uh, exactly swarmed with the type of characters who are putting and paying a lot of attention to this <laughs> at the moment. Oh, my God. This I'm, I'm looking at their FAQ, which is a few of the things on the FAQ is like more luxurious services include hypno regression because this is supposed to be a trauma thing. It's like, how is that a luxurious service? You're hypno like. Hypnoregression is also like not proven to do anything. Like it's it's like not real. Yeah, I guess the usage of the word spa also made me assume that this was more of a relaxation or an unwinding thing. Well, activities activities range from playtime, story time, nap time, cuddle time, changing time, coloring, nursery rhymes, and singing alongs. To me, this sounds more like the people who like pay for like an ayahuasca experience. Like it's like yeah, are, no, literally. If the yeah. intent here is that people are going here to like really <laughs> wait, gets... deal with their demons and stuff, then it's wait, like wait. <laughs> in in the summer you can play with your water wings and floaties poolside, picnic under the tree with your teddy bear, play marbles on the patio, or swing on the front porch swing and serve tea to your dollies on the porch. In the winter we can make snow angels, build snowmen, drink hot cocoa from beneath clouds of whipped cream and sprinkles and decorate gingerbread men or sugar cookies. Well you could do all of that for less than two hundred dollars an hour is what I <laughs> like, know, I know. I've done plenty of those things. <laughs> Not to go much further, but honestly this does sound to me less like Dude, I also love when websites for anything like this or like an ayahuasca retreat or like pyramid schemes will have like a feedback page. All of these are fake. You know, like the, the reviews that you see on a website for a company that says that they're like person, a person saying it. It's like, that's not real. They made that up. This one doesn't even quote anyone's names. It just has quotes. Doesn't say anyone's. They didn't even well, try to put a fake name. I mean, to, but. Oh, honestly, well, OK, <laughs> wait, right. You wouldn't want to. OK, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. It would take right. a very specific type of person to be like super upfront about going to this sort of thing, right? And just like put the name on it. Yeah, okay. Like, Never mind. Like telling your coworkers over the water cooler. Like But also but also these are like things these things these quotes are crazy. Your attention to detail is incredible. Dot dot dot. I am definitely eager to continue to explore this experience. What? <laughs> <laughs> Regarding future sessions, of course I am interested in continuing into the future. What? <laughs> like, that's not a the thing that someone said, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I liked the way you were integrating questions and asking what I wanted within the session. People don't talk like this. I mean, like, this isn't the way. <laughs> I've never met someone know. who's into this sort adult of Adult baby? <laughs> adult baby doesn't say, I liked the way you were integrating questions and asking what I wanted within the session. Well, maybe this type of person just has like a extremely hard partition between adult and baby. Maybe they are like full adult, but then they, that also means they go full baby. 
<laughs> sure, right. Like yeah. when they're full adult, like there's no games, there's no playtime. Oh my god. They, they, they speak okay. very formally yeah. in, yes. in their day to day. When it's baby time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Oh my god. Um, we are starting hold on, this I just... year. We are starting a new. <laughs> New New Englanders year with some with some hot topics. <laughs> yeah. With some hot potatoes. Um, two things. <laughs> One, um, I hope that Sophia doesn't get mad that this is the news story on her episode. And two, <laughs> I'm gonna pause my recording for a second to listen back to everything we just did to make sure it sounds right. While Sarah does a quick hardware review, I guess I'll give my closing argument for the adult baby diaper saga. Uh, which we've already spent way too long on. Yeah, I, I don't think either of us have any sort of issue whatsoever with someone doing something like this as long as it's, you know, not hurting anyone and it's all between consenting adults and whatnot. So, yeah, I don't think there should be any issue with a place like this existing. But at the same time, I don't think it's even remotely surprising that a small town, I guess I'm assuming it's like a small rural town in New Hampshire, why their reaction to a place like this being opened around the corner from where they live is like so severe. No, I mean, it's like to each their own, like this is your thing. As yeah. long as you're not that, I think the thing too, that people were uncomfortable about is apparently this is all hearsay though. I don't see any screenshots. I don't see any like proof of this was that the website said that they would be like taking trips to the park and going on walks on the trails in the town. Yeah. And I think that's when people were like, whoa, red flag. Like, I don't want my kid to see this because it's going to be really confusing for them. Yeah. Um, which is totally fair. Like, that's not, you know, the norm, especially in New Hampshire. Yeah, I, I guess that's also confusing because I would have assumed that part of the reason it's in a rural, like, remote location is because then you can get away and, like, have a retreat. And so that, you know, you're sequestering yourself to somewhere that there aren't other people. But whatever. All but, I can say, yeah. though, is that this is extremely New Hampshire vibes, honestly. Like, <laughs> a libertarian, a very, like, libertarian sort of business where it's kind of like an anything goes and it's $1,500 a day. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> live for your die. Live for your die. They mean it. I can, I can picture, like, that, fl <laughs> you know, like that flag outside <laughs> of <the laughs> Oh, my God. <laughs> Anyways, all right. yeah, all it's, right. it's, we it's time on. to move on. <laughs> so I have some huge news for the people of Massachusetts, for the people of New England at large. And that is the very exciting piece of info that Cape Cod will be the home to New England's first Margaritaville Resort. Oh, shit. That's crazy that they're opening one after he died. Oh, they're they're going like they doubled down on the Margaritaville brand almost immediately after he passed away. Uh, it's that's terrible. I, I, he was. I cool mean, it's what people do. Alive. If his like, I guess family so. or whatever, making a ton of money. I guess so. This, it just makes me. <laughs> it makes me feel like, oh, the, the people who are getting the money from it are just taking advantage of. I don't know. It's not taking advantage. It, he his ghost personally haunts each and every <laughs> Margaritaville resort. It was a part of his will. This is this is seeming this is Cape Cod coded though. <laughs> I can see this. I feel like the people of Cape Cod might be upset though. I honestly don't think they have much to be upset about because this is only replacing an existing resort. 
what was previously the Cape Codder Resort and Spa has now rebranded itself to become the first Margaritaville. So it's not as if like this was a new construction or anything. It's just resort that was already there decided that this would be like a useful facelift, which I I probably will be because Margaritaville is pretty popular and his fans make a point of going to the Margaritaville resorts. I would go. Yeah. So I did a little research on this because honestly, I had a hard time believing that this was the first Margaritaville location in all of new england but it's not technically the first location the first was margaritaville at Fenuel hall in boston but that's just a restaurant so Ah. that's just a bar and restaurant it's not it's not what margaritaville is supposed to be yeah exactly that's like it's just a taste you get the taste (laughs) at Fenuel hall in boston but the resort the hotel spa beach the multi-experiential margaritaville weekend is waiting for you in cape cod can i wear uh can i wear my diaper there <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, sorry, I'm sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry what a weekend you could have <laughs> <laughs> wasted away again in margaritaville <laughs> you could take like a long weekend thursday through friday that's that's your trauma. Thursday through Friday. No, no, no. Thursday and Friday. That's that's trauma in in New Hampshire. And then you take that long drive down, and then you have a luxurious rest of your weekend in Margaritaville, at Cape Cod. I've never actually been to Cape Cod, so me neither. I, I don't know how this is going to fundamentally change the vibe. Connor, there. we have to go. <laughs> I guess we do. We have to. I mean, we don't have to go to Margaritaville, but we have to go to Cape Cod. <laughs> We've both never been. We got it. That's crazy. We got to at least like catch a glimpse. <laughs> it's the first one in New England. Well, I'd be down to go. I don't know how expensive it's going to be, though. Oh, I'm sure it's going to be crazy expensive. <laughs> I was looking at the interiors of this thing. It, it is just like the exact image of like the suburban beach house with like the sea glass and like the. I'm the, looking it up. Yeah. It, oh, yeah. It, it's the very oh, yeah. image of white mom beach vibe. So you know White Mom White Mom New England Beach vibe. Yes. This looks like these images look like they're like AI also. Oh, they're they're just architectural renderings because they're opening for 2024 summer. So oh, they're okay, still working okay. on it as we speak to get it ready for this summer is the on inaugural season. Oh shit, can you book now? Yeah, you can book for this summer as we speak. You can be one of the first people to spend a part of your summer vacation in the margaritaville resort at cape cod i'm looking at my birthday weekend right now (laughs) oh this isn't that expensive what are we talking 400 428 dollars a night i mean i don't know how i I guess for like a resort for like that's not terrible it sleeps three right yeah it sleeps three so or you could get a standard room, two queen beds that sleeps five for four hundred forty-four dollars a night. You like heard that's it first, not everybody. Ter- that's like a hundred dollars a night. Sarah's birthday bash is this summer <laughs> getting the penthouse suite at the Margaritaville. In oh, Cape I do Cod. wonder if there is what the. I want to see what like the premium rooms are. Here's what the suites look like. Going absolutely crazy. Eating, oh, there's just like w- eating one crab legs and drinking margarita after margarita. At the Margaritaville. 
Yeah, I don't even All drink. All non-alcohol. So I would have, yeah, I would have a lot of fun. I'm just, I'm just, just drinking juice. Pounded N.A. margaritas. Just straight lime That's juice so until your stomach lining burns off. I did some more research a little bit into the all-inclusive aspect of their resort. They only have four all-inclusive resorts, and they're all not in the U.S., so I have a oh. feeling that they like have to do that for some reason. Like, one's in Mexico, or two are in Mexico, one's in Dominican Republic, and one's in Honduras. Or that one's not even open yet, but... So even if you're getting a little bit of a deal on your room, it's the Margaritaville restaurant that you're going to end up racking up the bill once you've had eight cheeseburgers in paradise right over the course of your weekend probably at 35 dollars a burger they do have adults only ones that's kind of cool <laughs> adult only margarita yeah yeah i just assumed that was like what they were to begin with <laughs> no they have family friendly ones <laughs> How do you explain to like an eight-year-old the concept <laughs> of Margaritaville? <laughs> uh, you know, they gotta cater to the alcoholic uh, parents in the country. <laughs> yeah. All right, but that's enough about Margaritaville for now. So let's close it out. Do you have some good news, Sarah? This isn't good either. Damn. I know that we try to do good news, but I have... Mm, suspicious news. Oh, uh, oh for my suspicious for my news. news. For my news story. Oh. So, um, for those of you listeners who live in Connecticut, you may have heard about the church that collapsed just last week, last Thursday, on January 25th. Last Thursday for me right now, a couple weeks ago for you in the future. The steeple of this historic church collapsed in New London, Connecticut, which is where Connor lives. It's true. It's the talk of the town here. Yeah, it was built in 1850. So pretty old, definitely historic significance. And, you know, it was a part of like the landscape of the town. It was a part of the skyline. You know, it was a very staple, I guess is what you would say. But yeah, so the steeple collapsed and then they were forced to demolish the rest of the building as a result um, because the building is then not sound anymore. And there are people, there are whisperings that there's something fishy going on with the collapse of the of the steeple and you may be thinking like oh come on that's fucked up like this is a tragic event like this group of people just lost their place of worship blah 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 yes i agree however there are some things that i feel like are valid to be talked about and i don't want to take a stance on anything because i don't know there's not enough it's still ongoing this just happened a week ago but i think some of the things should be talked about so i'm gonna bring them to light and hopefully we'll have more updates later on First of all, roof repairs were done five years ago on the building, and there were no noted concerns about the structural integrity of the building at that time. Obviously, things can happen in five years. There's a lot of, like, weather that could happen and, and stuff like that. So you don't know. But I feel like on a building that's built in 1850, obviously it has some crazy structural integrity that it's been standing that long. And I think that you would be able to see the development of something bad happening I don't know. That's just me. Maybe. I don't know. I'm not an architect. I don't know anything about that. But it sounds whatever. like we could chalk that up to like the hot hand fallacy, right? The idea that something's going well. So it's just going to keep going well. True. Might have right. just been time, Sarah. It might have been. Yeah. I'm just going to play devil's advocate throughout. That's fine. <laughs> I want that because it's, that's how I'm trying to like, I'm trying to present the facts, but I'm suspicious. So I can't really be unbiased, I guess. But anyway, the, the community has really come together. In, in light of everything that's happened. 
you know, I think the Guard Arts Center, which is the theater there, you know, gave up their space to be used as the place of worship for the church. So to give you a little bit of background here, the church that worships in the actual building is called Engaging Heaven. And I think that there's another congregation that meets there as well, which is the First Congregational Church. I think the history is that the First Congregational Church sold it to Engaging Heaven. I don't know how that works, though. I don't I don't know if they both worship there or what. But the pastor of Engaging Heaven started a GoFundMe page, which everyone's like, this is so great. Like, the, you know, the community is going to come together to raise the funds for this tragic thing that happened. But like, the vibes are weird in the text of the GoFundMe. The guy is framing it as if this is God did this on purpose. Like God made the steeple and the church collapse for us. Like this is this is a good thing. And part of me is like, I get why people think things like that. But at the same time, I'm like, that's weird that you're making everyone think that this is a good thing. I mean, like, it's I kind of their job to say stuff like that. I guess so. I don't know. There's also a video on the GoFundMe page that's like really well edited. Mm. Whatever. I don't know. I'm just I'm looking too much into it a little bit. I think I think something that's funny about the GoFundMe, though, is that they've raised. So they want to raise a million dollars, which seems a little insane uh, to ask of people. And they've only raised sixty one thousand nine hundred forty five dollars so far. It's been a week. However, at, of that sixty one thousand one person donated 50,000. So Whoa. there isn't a lot, yeah, which is insane also. And it's an anonymous person. Mm. So I'm like, hmm, who did that? Like, that's a lot of money. That's like a lot of money. That is a to lot. Give anonymously, especially. So I'm like, hmm, I don't know. I don't know what to think of that. But I don't, I'm not even trying to insinuate something. It's just weird, right? You know, I can say as a resident of New London, that I don't think there really is just a million dollars lying around. Right. But the thing is with this is the thing is, is, um, you know, the news like reached outside of new London and outside of Connecticut and outside of new England. Like it's people are talking about it elsewhere. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So because it's a historical church collapsing, like that's crazy. It was a pretty significant building. I mean, it was, it was a beautiful church and is like a pretty, big loss like you said the landscape of the town and the town's like right. skyline because it was uh it was a pretty important building and it was historic for me like for me the biggest part of this story that's crazy to me is that there was a woman inside the church who survived yes she got out though yeah. she yeah, she got out safely yep. she was in an office in the back half of the building that actually was left intact but she walked out without a scratch like her office was completely untouched and I, as far as i've seen she was in there the entire time it happened and just like just heard oh, it's like horrifying and then like came out in the entire front Holy of the building crap. and this is like a building made of huge probably like foot tall two to three feet wide like stone bricks yeah like it's a crazy video like there's video of it collapsing mm -hmm. if you look it up like it is scary it's like disturbing almost like watching it just like fall over like it's oh god it's like haunting this is in a silly way this is like new london's notre dame collapse right like it is like a big deal in this community and i mean i was with you as far as like thinking is there some angle to this 
and like wondering, you know, was there some intention to do this? I don't, I don't really know if I, I would believe it, especially because someone was in there and I would really hope no one would (laughs) risk something like that. But I will be like many people in this town, like pretty upset if that lot ends up getting turned into like just some random office building or if it does something stupid yeah. yeah and i would hope that if it remains like a church then like they like invest enough to like make like a nice building again i i want to believe that this was fully nature's doing because i i am generally somebody that thinks that way but i think i'm just very skeptical of religious organizations and money stuff related to religious organizations in general it's also pretty easy to be skeptical because in this part of the country and especially in towns the size of new london anytime a historic building ends up having a fire or falling in this manner oftentimes like a new condo development pops up immediately right. after exactly and then everyone feels like extremely skeptical that there was some sort of plan going into they it they just collect insurance money yeah it's just like i don't know i guess I guess that we've been, I've been like trained by the media and like movies and books and whatever to believe that there's always some like ulterior motive to something that's going on and that there yeah. can't just be a regular old natural disaster tragedy or whatever. But I do, I do want to give a few more points. I was not mm-hmm. done with, oh. um, my stuff. Yeah, keep it going. And this isn't even necessarily entirely just about like the building collapsing. Like I'm not saying like this was done on purpose by the people who ran it. I'm saying that the guy and the people involved are just like sus in general, which like I I always love when shit like this happens and like stuff gets dug up about people who've been able to like fly under the radar for a while. You know what I mean? Yeah. Especially when it comes to like religious groups, because as much as it sounds terrible, there's a like a lot of fringe religious groups that have a very like strange side to them that they're doing something a little weird. Uh, and a lot of the times it has to do with money where, you know, the person, the pastor who runs it or like the leader of the group or whatever is like rich as fuck somehow. When all they do is read sermons to a group of people. Mm-hmm. There's always like this weird like sus angle. I feel like, and this is definitely present here. This I found really interesting, which was that apparently the building wasn't insured, which makes this even crazier. Like the 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 guy, the pastor said that it was insured, but the mayor of New London said that there's no proof of insurance on the building, which I found to be really interesting huh. because I was like, what? And then it goes on to talk about how the first congregational church who sold the church to engaging heaven sold it to them with, they didn't pay a down payment. Um, and it was a mortgage of a 200, uh, yeah, a $250,000 mortgage for 30 years. And it required engaging heaven to spend at least $25,000 a year on maintenance and repairs of the building. Um, and it required the building to be insured for at least the value of the mortgage. And that proof of insurance must be provided to the, mortgage holder every year so someone like wasn't doing what they were supposed to be doing because engaging heaven has owned the building for five years and according to the city there's no proof of insurance on the building and there were no insurance agents at the building when the work demolishing was being done all of that yet the guy says that there is insurance 
Yet, if they're putting $25,000 a year into the building, you'd think somebody would have noticed that maybe the roof wasn't doing well. So I just think that somebody wasn't doing their job. Wait, how much was the building sold for? Do you say it was sold for $250,000? Yeah, a 30-year mortgage for $250,000. So, like, the, the total price that they sold it for was yes. a quarter million. That feels, like, really, sh like... Low. It is low, but when you think about it, it's a church that's selling to another church. Sure. It's not yeah. like a building being sold to a business to be used for a business. Yeah, it's yeah. we're selling this to you because you're gonna use it as a place of worship. We're not gonna rip you off. I guess I don't know, you know I mean? how like the church market <laughs> really I mean, I don't know how that works either, because obviously like churches are tax exempt, which is a whole nother rabbit hole we go down. But like I don't know how like buying of property works for churches. But it's, it sounds as if, though, like, there's even less of an angle, though, of, like, someone collecting a check from it because it wasn't insured. Right. But they thought and it was insured. the craziest part, too, is so the insurance money that would have been, like, collected or whatever at the event of a loss, meaning, like, when the building collapsed, that money would be going towards the demolition, the cleanup, like, all of the stuff to do with the actual destruction of the building, uh, however, apparently the town has been paying for it with assumingly like taxpayers dollars, which is like, I'm not trying to sound like a boomer, but like when it comes to a tax exempt organization, suddenly now getting even more out of other people who are paying taxes like that is frustrating to me. Sure. Yeah. It should be frustrating to me. <laughs> yeah, it should be frustrating to you because you're a taxpayer in the town of New London. So I don't know. That's a little interesting tidbit that I found. Granted, this is a lot of this is reported in multiple places, um, some of which are, you know, just staff writers and like opinion articles, not by like investigative journalists mm -hmm. or something. So, well, you did the investigative journalism for this, and I thank you for that. This is a uh, this is I wouldn't call what stuff. I did investigative journalism. I found other articles online and wrote a summary. It was a little <laughs> investigative, and <laughs> I think investigative would be doing what this guy did, which was call the woman from the first congregational church and ask her about the whole situation. Mm. Uh, but she refused to make any statement about insurance. Um, which, if you had insurance, you would make you would tell people that you had insurance. So that makes me immediately think you don't have it. Maybe something fishy's afoot. Yes. So the other the other points of things that are not adding up. The pastor of the church, his name is James Levesque, apparently over the years has not been the most trustworthy guy. The staff columnist that I'm talking about who works for the day wrote an opinion article about um, this this whole situation. And there's a few things that this guy has said and done that makes it be like, hmm, uh, that's weird. That does, I don't believe that. And one of the first things is that he seemingly cured someone of a condition that was going to require them to amputate their legs. Hmm. And he told some person on some Christian TV news show or something about this that was broadcast live on there. That's a little bit crazy. He also told a story about an electric transformer that blew up underneath the church, which ignited a fire that blew off manhole covers in the streets of New London and burned through the night then they couldn't stop it. And the writer at the day was like, yeah, that didn't happen. I think if that happened, I would know about it. And like, there would be an article. So the guy is seemingly just like telling people stuff that isn't true. The second one, I'm like, why did you even talk? Why was that even a subject? The first one is just you claiming that you could do some sort of medical care for someone, which I always do not appreciate about like any fringe science or religion being able to claim that they could do 
you know, medical things and life-saving efforts on people. Lastly, I found this post, I found this on Facebook, so obviously the least trustworthy source, and it wasn't even the original source, but it was this page that was reposting a post from supposedly his ex-wife, who made a statement online like over a year ago at this point about another video that he did on the news, which might have been the one about the guy with the legs, I don't know, where she kind of was just like, yeah, he's like a chronic liar, he lies about a lot of stuff, like none of this is correct, or he'll like stretch the truth. He talks about like his upbringing and he like makes up things about that went wrong with him when he was a kid um, to make things seem like more of a sob story for him and stuff like that. So it's interesting. I'm like, okay, so what's going on here? Like, I'm not sure who to believe and I'm not sure what's real or fake and who's just trying to like spout shit about people online, which happens all over Facebook, as we know. But those are all the details that I have so far, and I definitely want Hope that there will be more updates, you know, the next time we record an episode, because this is an interesting developing story. Like I said, I'm not saying that they purposefully knocked the building over. Um, that's not what I'm claiming. I'm, to be clear, I'm not claiming that. Wink, wink. Um, I'm just claiming that there are weird things afoot. I think, you know, the silver lining, the takeaway is like, thankfully, miraculously, no one was hurt. And yes. I can yes. only imagine someone who is like a particularly devout or religious person works in a church. Can you imagine how religious they are now? <laughs> Just how honestly much yeah. an experience like this would like, it's like sell you even further. You're like, all right, well no doubt. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, also how tragic it is. Like, I'm not going to deny this is an extremely tragic thing. Um, there is a tragedy, but you know, at the end of the day, it's like, it's just it's just things, you know. <laughs> right. As long as we had a long talk, okay. we had a long talk about materialism earlier, and so that's what Connor is hinting at. It's now. just things. I think, I think that a place of worship is more than just things, Connor. <laughs> well, I mean, I, a religious person would probably agree with you. <laughs> right. That's true. <laughs> um, like I was saying, it's just. Thankfully, no one no one got hurt, and it was uh, diffused in a safe way. What could have been a great disaster, but uh, I'm I'm gonna be keeping a close eye on the skyline of New London because my hope is that they'll they'll nail it with whatever's put in that lot next. But uh, I don't have a lot of optimism given some of the recent developments downtown, <laughs> just oh, a, from no. a visual angle. But you know who knows <laughs> that once this GoFundMe well, really hits, they're gonna they're gonna do something crazy. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Put it back good. together. Hopefully, good. Hopefully, something good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anyways, that does it for the new news in New England for this episode. A little longer than we wanted initially, but you know, first episode back, getting in the swing of things all over again. Jumping now to our interview, Sarah. Can you tell us a little bit about our guest? So Sophia is a weaver based out of Hartford, Connecticut. So I met Sophia uh, a while ago now, years ago at this point, through one of our mutual friends, Molly Kate, and they went to mass art together, but she went to mass art for, she ended up graduating in fiber arts, I think she said, and she primarily does weaving as her art form. Um, so we talked to her a little bit about that. We certainly did. So let's jump over there now. You are now on the new New Englanders hotline. 
Hi, Sophia. Thank you so much for joining us on the pod. I was hoping to ask if you could start by just giving a quick introduction to yourself to our listeners. Uh, I can introduce myself. Yeah. Um, I'm Sophia de Jesus Sibella. I'm an artist based in Hartford, Connecticut, primarily a weaver. And I also teach weaving and mending and other things around New England. Yeah. That's me. Awesome. Could you explain to our listeners and also us personally how weaving yeah. specifically is different from other textile arts and crafts and what specifically the action of weaving is? Yes. So actually in a workshop like last weekend, someone said that they had been asked what the difference between weaving and sewing is. And they're very like they're fundamentally so different. But it's also like I have a theory that like fiber art is historically so undervalued because people can't comprehend how it's done. Mm. Like you kind of know how like wood is like furniture is made or jewelry is made or that sort of thing. But no one really knows how cloth is made. Um, but so weaving is actually um, using some sort of loom, whether it's like a frame loom or a floor loom, and you're interweaving weft into warp. So basically the warp is the vertical threads and then the weft is horizontal. So you're kind of creating this like grid network whereas sewing for example is like you already have the fabric and you're joining them together with um, needle and thread either by hand or with a sewing machine to create like a form and like weaving versus knitting weaving is a network of threads versus knitting you're using two needles to like loop one continuous strand together but yeah many facets of the fiber world and uh, but yeah weaving is specifically like cloth creation kind of hard to explain without a visual and even with a visual it's really hard to comprehend like I remember <laughs> being in college like I, I studied fibers um, and before I learned how to weave I would look at the loom and just be like how how does this even I couldn't comprehend how fabric was made so like I get it you know right right I get that it's kind of like witchcraft in some ways <laughs> so going off that how did you get into it like obviously in college i'm assuming yeah i went to uh, mass art in boston the nation's only freestanding public art college pretty cool because hmm. it's not affiliated with any university system it's its own thing but it's the only public art college in the nation that's uh, pretty cool love public schools yeah, so I went there thinking I'd be a graphic design major, but I got placed in an intro to fibers class my like first semester freshman year. It was with the department head Judith Lehman, and I just fell in love with the physical tactile techniques and just working with something that was kind of physical and soft, but also the kind of theoretical and historical implications of the material and the medium and the field. Um, and I just really appreciated Judith's approach to the class. We like learned a different fiber technique each week. So like a little bit of hand sewing, a little bit of machine sewing, quilting, embroidery. That kind of brought it out into the broader scheme of like applying it to art. So um, yeah, I fell in love and I was like, okay, I guess I'll be a fibers major. Didn't even know you could do that. I, I didn't guess know that's that either. My, yeah. Yeah, that's what my bachelor's of fine arts is in fibers. <laughs> Very cool. Uh, I wanted yeah. to touch on something you said briefly for a moment about mm. just the history of this craft, of this medium. Do you know specifically any New England specific history when it comes to weaving or even just textile art in general? And do you have any like connection or relationship with maybe New England's history with that medium specifically? Yes, New England is has such a rich textile history. I mean, 
even like Manchester, Connecticut was Silk City. You know, the Cheney brothers own the Silk Mills. and um, Right, right. So there's that. And then in Lowell, there's all the mills. There's a museum, actually. I mean, New England was like a hotbed for textile manufacturing. Um, there's not a ton of it kind of left. There is, what are they called? I think American American Woolen or something. They're a mill out in, um, I believe, stores. I'm literally looking on my phone right now because I haven't met them yet, <laughs> but I plan on going there because there are not many textile mills left that are functioning, especially in Connecticut. Yeah. But so in terms of like large scale operations, there's not many left, but it used to be very big in New England. But, you know, I, I teach at the Hartford Artisans Weaving Center, which is a really kind of big center kind of landing place for weavers in New England. There's Marshfield School of Weaving up in Vermont, and they do things basically as it was pre-turn of the century. Mm-hmm. Um, they follow all like the language, the techniques, everything. So I've gone there before. There's a lot of like weavers in New England working either like in the functional sphere or more in the fine arts sphere. It's like very rich. Um, Also, I found this American Woolen Company. They're in Stafford Springs. Gotcha. Uh, Gotcha. Yes. So I can send you guys that. I have plenty of things I can send you. I love wool. (laughs) So I might have to. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned it. I didn't even put this together, but I actually spend a lot of time at the Velvet Mill in stonington connecticut nowadays it's just one of these big like it houses like tons of small businesses but it used to be mm-hmm. this like huge velvet mill and i guess i didn't even realize yeah. that like oh duh like <laughs> that's that's yeah physical example. velvet <laughs> they were making that yeah. yeah yeah rhode island had a huge industry especially like lace um mm. Lever's lace was in rhode island there was a really big like lace industry that has since kind of gone over to china because they just can't afford to keep it up and running right um, so like yeah no there's a huge world of fiber enthusiasts and practitioners in new england it's got a really really rich history wow that's yeah. awesome it's like the point of this podcast is to learn about stuff that we don't know about but it's like i literally don't know about that you know and it's <laughs> yeah. it's cool to find that out you know yeah, um, I'll be honest. I don't know a ton either. I just know kind of the the general overlay. Like, yeah, New England had a lot of mills, blah blah blah. But right. um, specific, especially Connecticut history, I have just not dove into enough. It's such an interesting like topic because we we take it so for granted nowadays. Like, just the entire mm-hmm. concept of textiles and fabric and clothing, we just completely take it for granted, and oftentimes don't even spend much time and energy even like considering what goes into them being manufactured and made or even what the materials are yeah no you're absolutely right it's like we have this daily almost constant contact with fabric and fibers but we don't really think about who made it where it came from that sort of thing yeah it's this kind of cognitive dissonance it's really interesting yeah and there's almost like a a really distinct loss in the fact that now these things that we're so like intertwined not not to make a pun (laughs) love it they used to really be like signifiers of history and that labor was like tied to communities and now it's all very divorced from us in every way where you know we don't know where the hell it's even coming from and you know but we still need it all the time every day like we're mostly all clothed very often but yeah yeah (laughs) it's crazy to think about like just how serious of a change that is from even how it was happening like a hundred years ago yeah exactly like a hundred years ago we still had to we still had to weave like every person 
had uh, someone in their family who wove and sewed their clothing. You know, right, like, there right. was no other way unless you were rich and you could buy fabric or have someone else make your clothing for you. So it's been a really rapid kind of uh, detachment from the the labor process and yeah. even if you do like say you okay say you buy a hand woven scarf from a weaver where did the fiber come from you know maybe they bought the fiber from like a local yarn company like just yarn who's based in boston okay where did just get the fiber from where did they have the, the yarn manufactured mm-hmm. i know just is really ethical about their sourcing and that sort of thing but it is like you have to even if you're trying to like do the right thing by like buying from handmade or something you have to think about every step in that production process where everything came from yeah 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 Yeah. it's crazy how we as a society in general has become so disconnected from like literally the earth that we yeah reside on every day and like how quickly it happened it's crazy i don't know i think about it a lot (laughs) it's another, another level of it that i haven't thought of yet yeah Honestly, that's, yeah, that's a lot of what I think about in my work is like just how, how we live, like how are we surviving amongst this kind of chaotic, dystopic world that we've built for ourselves and how do we start to build alternatives in maybe like micro ways or more like hyper local ways. Um, Yeah, no, I think a lot about how crazy the past like hundred years have been, even just from the perspective of like synthetic fibers seeing the the boom of synthetic fibers and how it is like now we have synthetic clothing like acrylic and that sort right. of thing that is like the majority of our like landfills and they are not going to biodegrade so like synthetic fibers are one of the biggest problems yeah 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 no and I... we just kind of were like yeah we love acrylic we love <laughs> this stuff is so cool not really considering <laughs> the long-term implications because we were just like yeah new 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 <laughs> you know yeah. Especially with that, like most people don't think about it anyway. Like I, yeah, you know, I was talking to someone recently about how I've been trying to be more mindful of like the clothing that I do buy, especially when buying new. Like, yeah, making sure that it is made of like cotton and not polyester and acrylic. Um, yeah. But it's really hard to do because most clothes yeah. are just made of that now. Yeah, it's really hard to buy new unless it's expensive. That isn't right. like a poly blend or like a rayon blend or something like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really hard to find nice new clothing. But going back to you, mm-hmm. <laughs> where do you draw your inspiration from in your craft? Mm-hmm. Like primarily my life and my upbringing. My dad's a big inspiration and just kind of like the, the landscape that I grew up in. Um, mm-hmm. My dad's an electrician and my mom is an artist. He's a painter. Having those two like material influences very present in my home growing up like my mom had her studio in our house and then my dad had like the basement that was kind of his like landing zone Mm. but also I I lived in a house that was like renovated for my entire it was just under construction my entire childhood so like that constant kind of feeling of like precarity or like in-betweenness um Mm. just I think I've like carried with me as kind of a fundamental like base for my work um But, like, these days I'm thinking a lot about, like I said, like, utopias and world building and just feeling really inspired by my friends and people who are around me doing really exciting things. I have plenty of people to shout out, (laughs) but I'll wait for that. Uh, But, yeah, really, like, my friends and other people who are, like, making art right now, I feel really inspired by. Do you 
have any sort of sense of like a community of other people who are also involved in textiles and whatnot within New England? Yeah, I do. So like I said, I teach at the Hartford Artisans Weaving Center, which Mm -hmm. is this really amazing nonprofit organization. And they have a, a very large network of volunteers and students and all sorts of things. So that's like a whole world that I've entered. Um, I'm also part of the Hand Weavers Guild of Connecticut, so I've met a lot of weavers that way. And then over the past year, I've been included in a couple of exhibitions that have allowed me to like meet other Hartford area artists. Because really up until the last kind of six months or so, I didn't feel very, very part of like the scene. You know, like I didn't really feel like I knew anyone. Mm. So I've really kind of built out my networking community these past six months, which has been really exciting. Um, So yeah, lots of fiber people in New England, but also kind of, I have a broader network, like all around the US, just from going to different residencies and stuff. So that's cool, like having the kind of hyper local, but also the kind of bigger network. Yeah, there's a lot of people doing fiber art and weaving right now, and it's really exciting. That is really exciting. And honestly, I'm getting excited myself at the idea of learning more and like trying to like maybe pick up some of these skills myself. Yeah, you should. That's why I would really like to ask you about some of your workshops and specifically this one that's coming up where what I understand is that it's mending for your clothes or other materials, but done in a way that's sort of enhancing the object. Yeah, it's um, visible mending. It's basically just this technique called darning where you're um, repairing a hole in fabric with needle and thread. Mm -hmm. So it's really sewing, but it's also weaving in that you're literally weaving new cloth over this hole i've taught it to i don't know how many people at this point i need to calculate um but i've been teaching it for the last like year and a half two years um yeah it's it really requires no like experience with uh fiber arts or sewing or anything i have people of all different experience levels come in Mm -hmm. and yeah it's a three-hour workshop where you get like a little fabric sample and we go through the whole technique and then you can basically apply that technique to any garment that you have that needs mending so I've had pretty good success, just like people taking the class once and then attempting amend on their own after, mm-hmm. and they've done a really good job. So, I mean, I would hope that says something about me as a teacher, but also just about the technique itself. Like it's very, you just got to practice it and do it over and over. And like, once you kind of understand it, it's just a matter of doing it. It's just very labor intensive. So. Right, right. But yeah, you use like color and you don't try to make it blend into the garment. You make it use lots of different colors and make it stand out and kind of celebrate the wear of the garment i've seen a bunch of these pictures and they're really just gorgeous like they look so cool and thank you they they really do just kind of enhance (laughs) the item after the fact right yeah yeah it makes me happy i always encourage people who take my workshop like send me pictures let me know if you need to have questions blah 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 because like that's what I'm really interested in is like people continuing their mending journey, like not just like taking the workshop and being like, okay, cool. I know how to do that. Mm-hmm. Like I, I always, wherever I'm teaching, I make sure like people are able to take at least like the embroidery hoop, a needle and some yarn home so that they can continue doing it because it's really about like the kind of philosophy and the longevity of it. Like it's not just like this cool art technique that you can do. It's like, it's very practical and you should be using it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also yeah. like going along with our previous conversation, like a very sustainable thing to do with your clothing instead yeah. of just getting yeah, rid exactly. of it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So when is your next one and where is it? Yeah. So it's February 17th, which is a Saturday from 10 to 1. 
or mm, maybe 10 30 and 1 i'm so bad um it's but it's <laughs> saturday february 17th um in hartford and i'm hosting it at free heart closet um which is this really amazing organization it's a free art supply closet um but they also offer their space for like rentals for workshops or gatherings or anything so I used to host workshops in my studio, but my studio has since filled with looms. And so I needed more breathing room. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I've connected with Free Heart over the last year and I love supporting them. And so it's just kind of a win-win. Um, so yeah, I have, I think like seven spots left in that workshop. So yeah. Awesome. What's your favorite part about teaching the workshops or just teaching in general? I just love meeting people. I I think like being an artist, it's a very solitary life in a lot of ways. You're just kind of in your studio making for a lot of the time or like answering emails or that sort of thing. So I love getting out into the world and connecting with people who are just so excited to learn about this thing that has become kind of second nature for me. So it, it, it keeps me like humble and keeps me reevaluating how I approach teaching to people like mm -hmm. this thing that I, my body just kind of knows how to do I have to put it into words and put language to it and make it accessible for people so it just keeps me like from it keeps me humble and keeps me sharp and I just really love being people's first weaving encounter like I remember how important my first weaving teacher was to me and like I feel very privileged to be other people's like start of their weaving journey very cool yeah so what what's the your favorite thing that you've learned yourself so you like teaching but what about you as a student i've learned a lot of like technical things from working at the weaving center that i did not learn in school and would not have learned otherwise because there's there's like so much depth to weaving and the kind of theory and logistics of it it's kind of crazy it's like physics adjacent math adjacent logic adjacent it's pretty wild um so there's some people with really really deep knowledge who work at the weaving center that i've learned so much from um, so i would say like parallel threadings and drafting has been like my favorite thing to learn which are things that only weavers would understand and that's okay <laughs> diving deeper into the craft of weaving has been really just amazing like you know, I got like the art school experience. I developed my practice. I know what I'm doing more or less. Um, but it's really like, okay, how can I use the limitations of this medium that I'm working within and use like the the logic of how it works, not only to make what I want to make, but actually like use that as a proxy for my thinking and my work mm. um, or like, it's like a metaphor in a way. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Weaving is pretty crazy. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, you teach these workshops, which is, you know, a gateway for some people to get into weaving. Um, besides art school, I mean, do you recommend that people go to school to learn weaving? Like, what do you no. think is a way to learn it? <laughs> there are so many, uh, I'd say, like, non-institutional ways to learn. I actually wrote down a few places that you can direct people to. So, like, Hartford Artisans Weaving Center, where I teach. Uh, I teach beginning weaving classes. That's a great place to start. Also looking at different craft schools like um, Haystack Mountain School of Crafts or Penland School of Crafts or Peters Valley. There's John C. Campbell Folk School. There's so many different craft schools in the U.S. that will offer scholarships and teach workshops on weaving. So that's a really great way to kind of get your foot in the door. 
There's also different organizations like the Textile Arts Center in Brooklyn. There's Catskill Weaving School out in Catskill, New York, who my friend Samantha Bittman, uh, she founded it. There's Weaver House in Philadelphia. Um, and then online resources. Like I, I've had a lot of students who are like, yeah, I just taught myself most of this from videos and books. Yeah, yeah. So there's a, a wealth of uh, resources online. Um, I'd say like Jane Stafford, Jill Stalvitz. You could literally look up, how can I start weaving? And there's <laughs> a really rich online community. Yeah. And also just like message me. <laughs> <laughs> Would you say there's some level of investment that you have to do up front for like you to get started with it? Yeah, there is like a real barrier to us in that. Like to take a workshop, yes, there are scholarships, but you have to like take time off from work and, you know, pay rent while you're away. So, yeah, yeah. or if you take a, you know, a class, you do have to, you know, pay for it and invest the time. Um, and then if you really want to kind of get your own weaving operation up and running, there are ways to do it inexpensively, like to get a loom for not relatively cheap, but much cheaper than buying it new, you know, maybe like $500. And then you can like DIY a lot of the equipment and but there is like an upfront investment for sure. I feel really lucky that I was able to make that investment so early in my life and discovered how much I loved it because so many people who are like people I teach are finding weaver weaving kind of later in life or after retiring or, you know, they kind of knitted and did things like that. I think a lot about like accessibility with weaving and that like not even just like the physical, but the financial, the social, all of it. Um, because there is kind of a huge upfront investment and it does take a super long time to even get to the point where you can work independently. So, mm, yeah. Yeah. You mentioned um, the Haystack Mountain School of Crafts. I mean, you also talked about doing other residencies elsewhere at various places. What is that experience like? You know, what do you do you recommend it there or in places in New England? And what do you recommend? Yeah. Yeah. Haystack Mountain School of Crafts is a really special place. It's up in Maine. And I went there first in 2018. I got a scholarship from my college to go take a blacksmithing workshop there, actually. Um, and then I went there. I've been there four times total, all like scholarship based. They offer really generous scholarships. But the open studio residency is incredible. It's like 50 artists gather and uh, they feed you, they house you. It's totally free. You get access to all these different studios. You meet people from all over country all over the world and haystack specifically is just a really really special place i think it has to do with like the architecture and the energy of the land that it's on and um, it's amazing so i highly recommend anyone who has the chance to get to haystack you know artists or not you know if you identify as an artist or not if you have any interest in taking a workshop like they want a super diverse array of like abilities and backgrounds up there so um i love haystack yeah so their open studio residency i highly recommend there's Monson Arts Center, I think, uh, in Maine, Monson, Maine. There's Vermont Studio Center. There's Mass Mocha. They have a residency program in um, North Adams, Mass. Um, there's a couple in Connecticut, like I Park, and um, I think Foundation House is one. But yeah, I, I love doing residencies. That's how I've kind of built my network outside of New England and how I know so many people um, kind of doing similar things that I wouldn't have known otherwise. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. I only have one more question and it's kind of like really stupid and I don't even know if it's something that can be answered, but <laughs> do you have a t like a top five fabrics like, ever? <laughs> mm. 
Mm-hmm. I'd say like, all right, corduroy's up there. Oh, let's go. Um, Strong. Start. If we're talking fiber <laughs> or fabric, corduroy's up there. I love denim. Um, denim's beautiful. I love cotton. Like, so my favorite fibers are cotton and wool, mm. but then my favorite fabrics are probably like denim, corduroy, uh, canvas. Mm. Um, but I also love silk. All right, that's four. <laughs> <laughs> I love a good, good woven wool, like a twill, like a, a plaid. Mm. A wool plaid. Oh yeah, strong. Yeah. <laughs> you know, awesome. I, I just learned this like this last week, but I was living with a, with a complete falsehood recently. Like I, I didn't know that rayon is apparently a non synthetic like. Fabric. Oh yeah, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. It's made of what is it made of? Like bamboo or something? Something I'm like that. I'm exposing my own ignorance. It's like some sort of plant fiber, fiber substance. But I thought this That's whole crazy. time that rayon was another like plasticized wool or like fiber. But Same. apparently, yeah. it's actually yeah, it's a natural material. Yeah, it's not technically synthetic. Yeah, it's yeah. technically natural, but it goes undergoes a huge chemical transformation process to even make it. So gotcha. it ain't sustainable. So <laughs> not as <laughs> not as you as know. bad as acrylic, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> we're nearing the end, but before we go, do you have any other upcoming dates or information that you'd like to share? I want to shout out some friends, some New Englanders I love. My friend Hannah Rust, she's a painter in Boston. We recently had a show together at Distillery Gallery in October. And she has been such an inspiration over the past few months. And she's doing really amazing work. She's a painter. And she has a show coming up in Boston uh, this year. Oh, Torrington. I love Torrington, Connecticut. <laughs> Howard's Bookstore. If you've never Shout been, out. Howard's Bookstore is what's happening. It's where it's at. <laughs> Um, I'm really, in, I'm good friends with John who owns the building um, and Rana Justice who does all the show bookings there. They have a ton of shows there. So if you're ever looking for a venue in Northwest Connecticut, Howard's has shows. Yeah, I have that workshop and hopefully having a show in West Hartford sometime this summer. We'll see um, more to come on that. But yeah. Awesome. Sweet. Do you have um, any other workshops planned for the future yet or do you go like one by one? I I actually have, yeah, I have a few scheduled and I, I think I'm going to have more coming up in Connecticut. Um, I'm booking a lot of library workshops. So I have, I'm teaching at Catskill Weaving School in April on um, April 13th. Um, and then I'll be at On Earth in Hartford, the kind of Earth Day celebration on April 27th, doing awesome. some mending. But yeah, definitely more workshops to come before, between now and then. I will I will post about those. Cool, yeah. Where can uh, where can people find you on the web? Yeah, so my Instagram is Sophia underscore underscore DJS. Sophia with a PH. Um, and then my website is Sophia com. And I don't have it yet, but I am adding a teaching tab to my website so that I can list all of my upcoming workshops. So look there soon. Sweet. Well, thank you for joining us today. This has been awesome. I feel like it's been a real learning experience for us, and I'm definitely more interested in learning more about it. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us, Sophia. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. Anytime. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you again to Sophia for joining us. Genuinely a very interesting discipline to learn a little bit about. 
I urge everyone and anyone who's listening to please go check out either her website or Instagram to see some of the very cool pieces that she's made in the past. Yeah, and um, make sure to try to get to one of her workshops if you can. Yeah. As we mentioned in the interview, the next one is Saturday, February 17th, and that is a class to learn darning, a visible mending technique. Beyond Sophia's workshop, let's discuss some other upcoming events. So this isn't a specific event, but if you're looking for something to do on a weekend, you should definitely try checking out the ice castles in New Hampshire. I've never been. I've always wanted to go, but I've heard really good things. You know, I've heard that they are a little bit busy, but um, it's pretty cheap. I think it's only like $30 to go. And they're just these massive ice structures that you can walk around in and they're all lit up and stuff. I, I've, I've seen pictures from friends who've gone and it just looks really cool. Um, and I'm sure that there's a lot of other things to do around the area, um, such as go to the adult diaper baby oh, God place. damn it. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't do No, no, no. Uh, sorry. <laughs> <I'm> sh- <laughs> um, hey, sorry. <laughs> um, I'm sure that there's a lot of other things to do around the area. Um, New Hampshire is a beautiful state, even though it is wintertime. I guess I can't recommend it because I've never been. But you should go and tell me how it is. On February 24th, Days Records, which is a hardcore record label, will be running a pop-up event at Purgatory Coffee in Middletown. Purgatory is an amazing coffee shop. Highly recommend you go. They just announced their February drinks and they look so good. Days will be hosting this along with Streets of Hate and Afira, which are two other hardcore music record labels. And they'll be selling merch and CDs and things of that nature. And I definitely recommend you go if you have an interest in hardcore, punk, metalcore, or uh, similar genres. It's from 11 a.m. to 4. Very nice. So I have an event that is in Fort Kent, Maine, starting on March 2nd. So apparently Maine is annually the host to a Can-Am international sled dog race whoa so there's like a 30 100 and 250 mile races that are done and it takes place over a couple of days you can apparently attend as an as a uh, spectator i have no idea what that's like it's probably pretty fun there also might still be time to enter as a racer if you have like 14 dogs lying around somewhere <laughs> if you have like like eight to 12 huskies just sitting around your house or something then and you don't know what to do with them you might as well give it a shot i feel like you're probably gonna like do fine <laughs> you have decent odds because there's not that many other people that have about 14 huskies lying around Yeah, i have no idea how many people participate in this event but apparently it's been going on since the 90s, which isn't as long as maybe I would have expected. <laughs> it sounds like something a little older than that. But, I mean, that sounds like it could be fun. Going to see some uh, dog sled races. Hell yeah. Yeah. That's all we have for this week's episode. We hope that we didn't get you down too much with the news this week. <laughs> this was maybe our most controversial episode. This was maybe our most yeah. <laughs> unintentional. I think we try to stay away. We try to stay away from the controversy and the sad stuff, but it's also like oh, it's juicy. I couldn't find much lighthearted news, and I have to chalk that up to this being the worst part of the year. And nothing against sure. anyone who's born in the first quarter. 
but I just do not get down with January to March. I think everyone who knows me well knows this about me, but I, I just think this time of the year is just a dark and twisted. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. So maybe it's maybe it's a good thing that we uh, you know kick off twenty twenty four with our most controversial. So from here we can only go up. <laughs> Hell yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yep. Well, we hope that you guys stay warm, stay you know safe if it's snowing in the future, which it might be. Um, also, you might be listening to this in the middle of the summer, so who knows? But we hope that you are having a good time. Yeah, that's it. That's all I have to say. We hope you're having a good time in general. Thanks, thanks for listening to this new, new New Englanders episode. It's very new in the new it's year. It's a new, new episode in the new year. Thank you.